You're listening to the Golden Edge Podcast, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. Here's your host, Ben Goats. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey, uh, specifically hockey coaches, uh, plural, because the Knights have a search on their hands for their next head coach. Uh, We're going to talk about the decision that was made on Monday, yesterday, as we are recording this. We're going to talk about the possible candidates that the Knights could explore in picking their third head coach in six seasons. We're going to get to all of that on this edition of the show. I, of course, am Ben Goetz, uh, your Golden Knights beat writer for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Now solo, because as we've addressed on this podcast before, my uh, incredible and amazing colleague David Shane is switching beats. He is now going to be a sports betting writer uh, for us, and I'm so excited to see what he does there. But that means, unfortunately, basically like a week after we kind of made the switch more official, he is not around for one of the biggest news items uh, of the offseason, which, of course, is the fact that the Golden Knights decided to make a coaching change with Pete DeBoer yesterday. So I'll handle this solo as best I can today, breaking it all down for you guys. And hopefully you'll still enjoy all the information that we have on this show. Before we get to all the topics that we have to cover today, I just want to remind you guys that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports. Uh, We are also presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. We had so many stories come out of yesterday's news. You know, I wrote, obviously, a news story about Pete DeBoer getting fired, kind of looking back at his tenure, had a list of potential coaching candidates for the Knights. Colleague Ed Graney wrote a column on what he thought the firing said and meant to the Knights. Uh, And then Dave still showed up just for the press conference yesterday to ask some questions. Then he wrote uh, about some key injury news coming out of General Manager Kelly McCrimmon's press conference, not related to the coaching. So if you're interested in all that, it's all up on our website. I also did an interview with goaltender Logan Thompson from Finland, where he's competing for Team Canada right now. That got posted to the site today as well. So really encourage you guys, if you're interested, to check all that stuff out. Uh, We are also presented this podcast by Blue Wire. Um, And so let's get right into the news of the week and probably the news of the next couple weeks, potentially for the Knights. I guess we'll see how it ends up shaking out. But yesterday, Monday, as I'm recording this, basically almost two weeks to the day from when the Knights kind of held their final media sessions after missing for the playoff, the playoffs for the first time in five years, the team announced that coach Pete DeBoer was officially fired or kind of relieved as duties as they euphemistically put it. Also gone assistant coaches, Steve spot and Ryan McGill uh, spot has been with Pete DeBoer for a very long time, dating all the way back to junior hockey. He ran the Knights power play basically from when Pete DeBoer uh, took over and then Spot came on shortly thereafter as well. Up until this past March, when there was a switch made in power play duties, McGill has been with the Knights since their inaugural season. He's coached the team's defensemen since then, uh, being retained by the Knights assistant coach, Ryan Craig, who has also been around since the inaugural season. He started out kind of working with the forwards and running the power play on Gerard Glantstaff, had those power play duties taken away initially when DeBoer came on, and then he got uh, the power play duties back in March when the Knights were kind of looking to shake things up there. He's sticking around, also sticking around assistant coach Misha Donskov, who's been a newer uh, addition. He's 
was previously in kind of a player development role. He's more of a skills coach. He's sticking around as well. And then finally, goaltending coach Mike Rosati, not officially fired, not officially being back. He's kind of in limbo. The Knights have basically said, we will give you the opportunity to interview with whoever the new boss is for your job. So it's not 100% whether he's staying or whether he's leaving. It'll basically be up to whoever the new coach is to decide whether goaltending coach Mike Rosati is staying. Um, DeBoer did have one year left on his contract. He said in his final media session uh, you know, with the Knights two weeks ago that he hoped to come back. He was willing to come back. He was willing to potentially come back even without an extension. But obviously that is not the path that the Knights decided to go down. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon you know, said in kind of explaining the move yesterday, Monday, uh, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Tuesday, I should say. He said, you know, he had his final meeting with Pete DeBoer uh, at the, you know, about a week and a half ago, kind of towards the end of that week where they did those final media interviews. Then McCrimmon and president of hockey operations, George McPhee, got together, had meetings. They kind of decided, you know what, the route that I think we need to go is to make a coaching change. Then late last week, they went to owner Bill Foley, said this is what we want to do. Foley gave him the thumbs up. And so yesterday on Monday, Kelly McCrimmon went with Pete DeBoer, met with all of the assistant coaches and basically laid out, here's the direction that we are going to go. Um, so before we get into more of the kind of why and, you know, reflecting on Pete DeBoer's tenure, I think it's you know, important to hear from the decision maker himself. So here's a clip of general manager Kelly McCrimmon explaining why he decided to fire Pete DeBoer. In terms of the why, it's... Uh... You know, here's where we're at as an organization right now. We had uh, three very compressed seasons. I really felt as the season wound down, you could feel the fatigue that had gained over, gathered over time. We've got a four and a half month off season, which I think is going to be extremely important for our group. Uh, we missed the playoffs, which uh, is humbling for a team, no matter what the reasons were for how that happened. And I think what it's going to give us is an opportunity in the fall to be uh, incredibly rested, rehabbed, uh, recharged, excited. And as we went through it, I felt that we could enhance that by having a new voice leading our team into next season. The decision was made based on next year. The decision was not made uh, based on last year. Uh, I'm not gonna be critical of Pete or point out specifics as to why this decision was made. I've got a lot of respect for Pete uh, as a man, I've got a lot of respect for him as a coach. And uh, again, these decisions are made uh, for the future. And that's why uh, we're here today uh, to discuss this. So that's basically the explanation that was given for why DeBoer lost his job. Obviously not a lot to go off of there since McCrimmon did not want to talk about kind of DeBoer's performance or break it down or anything like that. All that we basically got was... He wants to start fresh next year and believes that, you know, not or keeping DeBoer around was not going to be in the best interest of kind of serving that goal of a fresh start for this kind of organization and franchise. And he did mention several times, thinks DeBoer is a good coach. This isn't about the fact that the Knights missed the playoffs for the first time in five years. It's about his vision for next season and what success then uh, looks like. Also, of course, I think it's fair to point out would Kelly McCrimmon have actually made this decision if the Knights made the playoffs. I think that's certainly a question to uh, ponder and push back 
a little bit. Uh, DeBoer did finish 98, 50, and 12 with the Knights. That's a 650 points percentage. That's the eighth best record in the NHL since he took over January 15th, 2020, which, of course, uh, as I'm sure people remember, it was the same day that Gerard Gallant was fired. Uh, those two moves, the firing of one coach and the hiring of another, were actually announced in the same press release uh, early in the morning after the Golden Knights had just lost a game to uh, Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres, ironically. Uh, DeBoer, of course, upon taking over, you know, led the Knights to those back-to-back semifinal appearances where they lost to Dallas in the bubble and then Montreal last season. Uh, the offense and the power play both times really fizzled out at the end, and that's why the Knights ultimately came up short of their goal of getting a Stanley Cup. Um, I think if, you know, to zoom out even further and kind of look back at Pete DeBoer's tenure as a whole, I think it's pretty easy to say he had good results at five-on-five. He really improved their breakouts. He improved their defensive structure. He emphasized shot blocking. And because of that, the Knights had a lot of success, uh, specifically at even strength. Uh, This year, you could poke a few more holes in it. Their defense was a little bit more porous. They gave up more high danger chances against uh, that neutral zone change that they made where they went to a more passive look there um i think you can quibble with because it might have taken away from the knights kind of identity of this aggressive attacking franchise uh but even still they were uh, 12th in the nhl in five on five goal differential uh this season so you know even in kind of a, a down year where obviously they were held back by all the injuries 500 man games lost things that you guys have all heard before they were still essentially you know a playoff team at five on five uh, special teams, however, were more of a struggle. They were 16th on the penalty kill overall under DeBoer, and that's even with finishing, I believe, first last season. So, you know, his first and third seasons, they really struggled there. And then they were 21st overall on the power play. And even that kind of number in his tenure, I don't think necessarily puts the struggles in the proper context because, of course, we're talking about a team that has a lot of very highly paid and talented forwards like Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Marcheseau, uh, obviously Jack Eichel this past year. Evgeny Dodonov this past year has been a good power play player in the past. There's two good quarterbacks in Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo the past two seasons. So I think the fact that the Knights are only 21st in the power play over his whole tenure is especially disappointing given the talent that they had on the roster. They had the tools to be better. Uh, they couldn't do it. And the fact that their power play wasn't able to really get going obviously played a major factor in their disappointment last postseason against the Montreal Canadiens. And it played a role in their loss in Dallas to Dallas the year before uh, as well. And then the other big factor when uh, analyzing Pete DeBoer's kind of overall tenure with the Knights, when you look past just the five on five and special teams plays, you got to talk about the goaltending and all the kind of ups and downs that were had at that position, specifically in his time with the team. Uh, The first kind of big move he made was kind of the gutsy decision to roll with Robin Leonard in the bubble playoffs in 2020 instead of Marc-Andre Fleury, which resulted in that Alan Walsh sword picture that everyone remembers so fondly. Uh, That obviously created a huge stir. I do think with hindsight, it's worth pointing out Leonard was really good. That postseason, he had a goals against average of 1.99. And in that loss to uh, Dallas, he allowed uh, eight goals 
in four games, and two of those games went into overtime in which uh, the Knights lost both. So, you know, overall, when you're looking at kind of the actual performance of the position that postseason, I think you could say it was not goaltending that was holding the Knights back, and specifically not goaltending that held the Knights back in the series that they ultimately lost to Dallas. So even though that was obviously a very, you know, highly scrutinized decision at the time, I don't think you can say it held back the team. But the goalie kind of, you know, twists and turns totally did not stop there. The next year, of course, they bring Flurry and Leonard back. Flurry wins the Vesna Trophy. He and Leonard combine to win the Jennings Trophy. And for the most part, it actually is a straightforward season in net until right until the very end where there's some toggling back and forth between the two of them late in that Montreal series. Uh, but once again, we're talking about, you know, the power play went 0 for 15 against the Canadians. The offense dried up once again at the most important time of the season. So I don't think you're looking at like how the goaltending was ultimately handled was the, you know, number one deciding factor in the Knights crashing out in the playoffs earlier than they had hoped. Uh, and then as has been documented on this podcast in our past couple episodes, Things then got crazy in net again by the end of this season where I don't want to rehash, you know, go through all the play-by-play of what was going on by the end of the season. But obviously there was a lot going on with Robin Leonard and his shoulder injury and how that was handled and how that was messaged publicly by DeBoer and McCrimmon. There's a lot of questions still remaining about that situation because Leonard has yet to talk publicly about it. But I think it's fair just to say that that was not probably handled in an optimal manner by the Knights. I mean, Pete DeBoer has already admitted in his, you know, exit interview uh, about two weeks ago that he, you know, regretted some of the words he used in talking about, you know, saying Leonard was fresh and healthy after that loss to New Jersey in which Leonard did not play well. So, you know, bottom line, when we're talking about the goaltending, just a lot of weird stuff happening at that position that last three years, now, is that all on DeBoer? Is that on the front office for, you know, bringing in Robin Leonard and then kind of, you know, making that Marc-Andre Fleury-Robin Leonard competition a thing heading into that bubble playoffs? Is it just on the goaltenders themselves? And are there things that they could have handled uh, differently to not have these things bubble up uh, as much? Uh, you know, that's obviously a really interesting question. I think the correct answer is probably there's things that all parties could have done differently, would have done differently. You know, if hindsight was twenty twenty, obviously it's not. But I think that's something that obviously when you you know assess Pete DeBoer's tenure with the Golden Knights, uh, that's something that you certainly have to take into account, especially, you know, based on the fact that Robin Leonard is still under contract for the Knights an additional three seasons. And based on how things were handled at the end of the playoffs, there's going to be, or not the playoffs, end of the regular season, there was definitely not players for the Knights this year. Uh, you have to question whether, you know, that was a relationship between Pete DeBoer and Robin Leonard that could have continued on. Uh, we just don't know because we haven't heard from Robin Leonard and gotten his side of the story yet, whether he, you know, was just kind of, it was normal, you know, back and forth kind of competitive fire between him and DeBoer at the end of the season in terms of, you know, him maybe not being happy with he was handled or was there kind of irreconcilable differences there? Uh, we just don't know. Um, despite, you know, kind of going through all those issues and all those reasons why the Knights didn't achieve kind of the ultimate success they hoped for under Pete DeBoer, I do think it's worth pointing out that just kind of as McCrimmon said, uh, that doesn't mean Pete DeBoer 
uh, was a bad coach or had an unsuccessful tenure with the Knights. He obviously did do a lot of really good things. Like I said, eighth best regular season record in the NHL in his time with the team, two trips to the conference finals. Um, he's, I think, very clearly and evidently, based on his track record here and his track record with other teams, a good coach. There's reasons why he's been successful before, been successful here, and in all likelihood, uh, I think if he wants to coach again, he will probably coach another NHL team and likely you know, have some success there as well. Um, he's definitely not a uh, perfect coach because nobody is, and so that's why I think it's worth you know diving into some of the reasons and things in his tenure that were you know not as great. But you're almost never going to have a guy that's you know absolutely perfect behind the bench. Um, does that mean the Knights can't get a better coach or someone who could bring some new ideas that are really successful to this roster? Absolutely not. Do I think it is going to be kind of a tricky needle to thread of improving on a coach that's kind of had this much success? Uh, I I do think so. It's going to be interesting to see what the Knights ultimately decide to do here. Uh, So that leads us into talking about now the search process, which was expected to get underway Monday afternoon, uh, as I mentioned earlier. So this is going to be the Knights' third coach in six seasons. Each of the first two lasted approximately two and a half years, uh, Gallant and DeBoer. So here's what McCrimmon had to say when he was asked what he's looking for in this next hire. We haven't uh, put any uh, work into who those candidates are yet. These were independent decisions, which the offseason allows you uh, to do. Uh, you know the, you know the leadership, the you know the bench management, the ability to communicate with players. You know, all of the uh, all of the expected answers is what I would give you. I don't think that we're uh, out to solve a deficiency we felt we had. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go through a process where we hire the best possible candidate we can hire, and uh, bring him in here to, to lead our team. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. So just like when he was talking about the reasons for firing Pete DeBoer, Kelly McCurman not providing a lot of specifics there of what exactly he's looking for in his next coach. Uh, He was also asked by me whether he thought experience was going to be necessary or a prerequisite for the next coach. Uh, He did not say that. He said, you know, we're going to look at all different types of coaches. We're not going to be pigeonholed into one kind of specific category uh, of coach. Uh, That being said, I think you can look at the talent on this roster, the expectations that are on this franchise. I mean, we are now entering year six and uh, owner Bill Foley, of course, is on record with his playoffs in three cup in six uh, idea. They obviously beat the first goal by a lot. They now have only this one season to beat these or to make good on that kind of second goal. And also there are a lot of veteran coaches out there. Uh, with experience and who've had a lot of success in the past, even won Stanley Cup. So I think it's going to be awfully tempting for the Knights to probably go with one of those guys as opposed to kind of finding whatever, you know, hot replace or assistant might be out there uh, just because, you know, given how much pressure is going to be on this franchise to turn things around next season, I think it makes it a tougher hill for any kind of assistant without necessarily a proven track record to beat some of the resumes that are going to be out there. But we'll see. Like I said, McCrimmon did not rule out 
going down that route and maybe there will be a surprise there that none of us see coming. We'll have to see. But to dig into, you know, exactly who is out there and who these candidates uh, could be, like I uh, said previously, there is an article that I put out at ReviewJournal.com that you can get into kind of more of the bios of these guys. But I think there are a couple that are worth, you know, talking about at least a little bit. Uh, The one that I think is foremost on a lot of people's minds is Barry Trotz. He got fired by the New York Islanders last week. Uh, Trotz, as I'm sure many Knights fans uh, are sad to remember, uh, won a Stanley Cup at T-Mobile Arena in 2018 when he was leading the Washington Capitals. Uh, Then he left the Capitals that summer, uh, went to the New York Islanders and had a lot of success there, uh, you know, taking a roster that I don't think a lot of people looked on too favorably and bringing, I think, arguably just about every ounce of success he could out of there. They made back-to-back conference final appearances before missing the playoffs this past year. They had a very weird season where, I believe it was their first 13 games were all on the road because they were opening a new arena and they needed time for it to be completed. So didn't get off to a great start because they were on the road so much. Then they had some difficulties handling covid 19 and i think also that roster is just you know older than the average one in the nhl and i think maybe there was just some veterans that just didn't have a lot of gas left in the tank especially after they had played a lot of hockey the previous couple seasons so uh, he's moving on from the islanders they promoted his longtime lead assistant lane lambert into that spot instead so we'll be Interesting to see if the Knights make a call there. He's going to be atop a lot of teams' wish lists because he's had such a track record of success. I believe he's third in NHL history in wins. Uh, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet reported today that Trotz was expected to be interviewed by the Winnipeg Jets. He is a Manitoba native, so that bit makes sense. Uh, Friedman also said he's expected to be high on the Philadelphia Flyers' wish list. So if the Knights want to go after him, they will have competition. Now, obviously, uh, if Barry Trotz does decide to want to come here, it would make sense for a lot of reasons because he is so well regarded as a coach. One thing that I do think would be interested is he is obviously a guy, especially in his time with the Islanders, that is known for uh, loads of defensive structure, tons of attention to detail in his team's game. And that's something that Pete DeBoer stressed a lot as well. Now, obviously, you could say that Pete DeBoer was very good at it, but Trotz might be the best there is at kind of instilling that type of system and having his teams play that kind of hockey. So you could still obviously argue uh, that's going to be an upgrade, but is that necessarily a fresh kind of voice that Kelly McCrimmon was talking about? We'll have to see. Still could be. Um, Another guy that I think is worth mentioning, and maybe this is coming up just because I just watched him, on the pregame show of the game I'm currently watching, uh, game one of the second round between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. Very excited about this series, by the way. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, that's Rick Tockett, uh, ex-Tampa Bay, ex-Arizona uh, head coach. He's, I think, would be more of the typical, we're going to kind of go to the opposite of the guy that we just fired, which happens a lot in pro sports. The Knights uh, had an ex-player in Gerard Gallant as their first coach. Then they went to a guy who is just kind of more of a career coach in Pete DeBoer, ex-law student. Uh, and now Tockett would be uh, going back to an ex-coach. He's played more than a thousand NHL games. I believe he's top 10 in penalty minutes all time, uh, won a Stanley Cup as a player 
with the Pittsburgh Penguins is known just like one of the you know toughest guys that also had plenty of skill, scored more than 400 goals uh, in the NHL. Uh, and I think specifically why he would also be different from Pete DeBoer is that he is known as kind of a power play guy uh, in Pittsburgh, where he was an assistant for a couple seasons before getting the Arizona head coaching job. He ran their power play when they won back-to-back Stanley Cups in 2016 and 2017. He was also, I think, kind of given the Phil Kessel whisperer label and given a lot of credit for kind of, you know, helping a mercurial guy like Kessel really succeed on those Penguins teams. So that, I think, is something that on his resume that could also potentially stick out to the Knights. The biggest question with him, especially compared to some of the other guys that are available, is that he doesn't have the kind of proven track record of success that some of these other guys are going to have. I mentioned Tockett has been a head coach uh, twice previously, but in his kind of six combined seasons, he's made the playoffs once, and that was in the expanded uh, bubble playoffs in 2020 with the Coyotes, where they beat uh, the Nashville Predators in kind of the uh, play-in round, essentially, and then they lost in five games in the you know first round, round of 16, to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, overall, he's got a 475 points percentage in 438 games coached. Obviously, a lot of that comes from you know being in Arizona where the roster talent was not the best. Uh, when he was in Tampa Bay, which was more than a decade ago, it was uh, 2008 to 2010, I believe, the talent there or wasn't great either. That was before Steve Eiserman came in as general manager and kind of built the core that is still currently there, even though the team is now uh, managed by Julian Brisebois. So that was before Tampa really started their rise. That roster was not, uh, you know, in great shape either. So, you know, you can certainly push back on that and say that he hasn't, you know, been given a true chance to have a great roster and run with it yet. But that's something that you would have to question if he ends up being the choice because he hasn't gone on a deep run in the playoffs yet. Uh, I don't want to go into deep dives and all the potential guys that are out there, but I just think uh, other kind of the proven winner coaches that are available include guys like Claude Julian, John Tortorella. Both those guys have won uh, Stanley Cups. Uh, Julian more recently, but even that was 2010, I believe. Uh, Tortorella won the 2004 Stanley Cup with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, both available, both with some question marks. Uh, Julian, uh, very similar to kind of the Pete DeBoer spiel I gave when he got fired in uh, Montreal last season, midseason. And then Dominique Ducharme was the guy that took over as interim and led the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Julian was known for, hey, he's getting really strong five on five play out of this Montreal team. Special teams, not so much. So very similar to what kind of the conversation around Pete DeBoer is, I think, right now. Uh, Tortorella, there's obviously just the, you know, he's a uh, hard-nosed, uh, unique personality, I think it's fair to say. So it all comes down to, you know, do you think that kind of grinding style that he likes and even the grinding kind of personality that he coaches with is the best fit for this roster? Is that what you want to bring to the table uh, if yes he might end up being the guy if you're not sure if that's kind of you know the attitude that you want to bring to this franchise you're probably going to look elsewhere uh also you know a guy that's available that's won a lot of games paul maurice former winnipeg jets coach resigned in the middle of the season um basically kind of citing burnout so there's you know it's not quite clear whether he's up to return to coaching at this point 
Uh, it's also worth pointing out that he and Pete DeBoer are very, very good friends. Um, they have worked together a little bit more than two decades ago and have kept in touch ever since. You don't know if that would play a factor uh, if he ends up emerging as a candidate um, at all. And then the last two guys that I think uh, at least have to be brought up but have uh, serious question marks attached, specifically kind of off-ice question marks attached, so you know their candidacies have to be talked about a little bit uh, more delicately, are uh, Mike Babcock and Joel Quenville. Uh, first off with Babcock, uh, another guy who's had a lot of success in his career, won a Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings, has won a lot of tournaments with Team Canada, and then most recently was with the Toronto Maple Leafs where he got fired after Marc-Andre Fleury made that crazy diving uh, save. And since then, there's been a lot written and kind of talked about from, you know, how he's treated uh, current and former players. I don't want to dive into all the details of that, but just there'd be question marks about, you know, does his style, you know, still kind of work in 2022? Or are there kind of ways of how he approaches things and how he approaches dealing with players um, that just, you know, aren't necessarily going to work anymore or just may not be the best fit anymore in the modern uh, NHL. And then with Quenville, there are serious, serious things to um, discuss in terms of, you know, off ice uh, behavior, basically. Uh, a very successful coach won three Stanley Cups in Chicago is considered on the ice to be one of the kind of better tacticians in NHL history, uh, but off the ice, that first Stanley Cup win with Chicago obviously got tainted recently with um, a lawsuit filed by former player Kyle Beach, basically saying that the team mishandled sexual assault allegations um, that he made against former video coach Brad Aldrich during that run in 2010. Um, I don't want to go into the details, especially if people um, are sensitive about you know hearing about the kind of things that have alleged to have been taken place there in Chicago. Uh, there is an independent report uh, put out by the law firm Jenner and Block that came out uh, earlier in October. If people want to pour through that and kind of go through the details of what allegedly happened, that is publicly available. But the kind of key takeaway uh, from you know that document in regards to Joel Quenville is this: is that basically he was made aware of these very serious allegations. Um, that Kyle Beach uh, made against Brad Aldrich. Uh, he took part in a meeting in which they were discussed after Chicago advanced to the Stanley Cup final, and nothing was ultimately done about those allegations until after Chicago won the Stanley Cup. That you know, Aldrich was not disciplined, or nothing happened to him for you know, obviously, basically a period of two weeks, despite kind of a lot of key personnel in that organization knowing that these allegations had been made because they were focused on their run to potentially winning uh, a Stanley Cup. Uh, this investigation gets released. Quenville, who was coaching the Florida Panthers to start the season, steps down. And basically now Commissioner Gary Bettman has said he will not be allowed back uh, to work in the NHL until he has a meeting with Joel Quenville and basically approves him being eligible to work in the National Hockey League again. Uh, Gary Bettman, who's been kind of making the rounds this postseason, going to different rinks, was in Florida at the beginning of the playoffs for a Panthers game and basically said, no, I have not talked to Joel Quenville yet. Uh, I uh, So as of right now, Quenville is not eligible 
to coach in the NHL again. If a team uh, wanted to hire and wanted to make that happen, I'm sure that process would get started. But obviously any team that wants to do that would face some serious questions about, you know, why now has Quenville, you know, been out of the game long enough that this long enough punishment has he learned from all these things. Uh, it's a very tricky, obviously, discussion because those are very, very serious allegations that were made that were potentially uh, mishandled or not dealt with properly and all that sort of thing. And like I said, if you want more details about exactly the play-by-play of what happened, uh, read the Jenner and Block report. Um, so we'll have to see how this ultimately now plays out uh, moving forward. I don't think the Knights are in a tremendous rush to name their next coach. You know, Kelly McCrimmon said, but we've got a long offseason ahead to kind of figure all this out. Last time, obviously, like I said, they had the same press release for, you know, hired, fired, but certainly seems like they want to take a different approach since that was a midseason coaching change. And here's what Kelly McCrimmon had to say when asked about a possible uh, timeline. Lengthier, and again, I touched on it earlier. That's what the offseason allows you to do. So we'll uh, we'll be thorough. We'll be thorough. We'll look at uh, uh, we'll look at all the candidates that we can identify. Uh, we'll you know work with uh, you know people in our organization that might have uh, past affiliations with coaches or ideas. We'll uh, solicit opinions from our pro staff, uh, you know, from our amateur staff that are people that are involved in the game. Uh, at different levels, uh, you know, obviously my own uh, contact, Jordan McPhee, uh, similarly, uh, will identify who the candidates are and, and uh, go through the interview process with them. So, yep, once again, we're not left with a lot to go off there as we wait and see what the franchise uh, decides to go with and what direction they're going to head in with their third coach in six seasons. It's just going to add a interesting wrinkle to what should already be a fascinating offseason. So make sure to stay tuned to ReviewJournal.com for all the latest. Uh, As I said, we've got so many stories up there right now, including kind of my retrospective on Pete DeBoer's tenure with the Knights and looking ahead to the search. Got a story up there about the candidates the Knights could pursue. Colleague Ed Graney has a column about the Knights' decision. And then uh, David Shane still lurking around has a story uh, talking about how Mark Stone is possibly, we don't know for sure yet, it's not 100%, but possibly going to have back surgery uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, as I'm recording this. Uh, They think that that will help alleviate the concerns that he battled with uh, all year this past season and obviously caused him to miss more than half of the night's games. If he does elect to get that back surgery, Kelly McCormick said it would be expected that he would be ready for training camp. But uh, anytime you're talking about backs and specifically back surgery, I think it's pretty tricky. So I don't know if that is 100% definitive, but that's kind of the initial prognosis if he does decide to do that. And then uh, Robin Leonard, who did have his uh, shoulder surgery and that the team said was successful, Kelly McCurman said they're still about a month out into det- before they can determine an exact timeline for Robin Leonard's return. So that's still a little bit up in the air as to when he would exactly be available to play again for the Knights. So those are the other two key non-coaching updates for the Knights. But there's going to be a lot of, obviously, coaching news in the coming days, potentially coming weeks 
and we will keep you guys posted here in the podcast and at reviewjournal.com with all the latest and all of what we're hearing. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, even though uh, Dave is no longer part of it. We're still figuring out what exactly the format is going to be with him shifting responsibilities. But obviously we had crazy enough news this week that uh, felt it was worth, you know, trying it solo and just seeing how things worked out. Uh, as a reminder, we are sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. We are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Uh, also, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. I'm Ben Ghost. This is the Gold Bench Podcast. Talk to you guys again real soon. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.